to have you here, and I hope you guys are, you guys like the rain last night? Okay. Yeah, I hear that in the back, yeah. That was actually pretty cool. Rain at night, nice during the day, I could live with that. Hey, I just want to say one other word about, uh, we've got the uh, three weeks, we've got the walk through the New Testament coming, and I just really want to encourage you uh, in terms of considering being a part of that. Uh, you know, we live in a very uh, biblically illiterate culture, and uh, sometimes uh, it takes a little more work on our part uh, to make sure that we understand the Word of God. And so um, that's why we have events like the Walk Through the New Testament. It is not going to answer every question you have. It's not going to make you a scholar of the New Testament, but it is going to build on the knowledge that you already have. And it's a great way to learn. And so I really want to encourage you to join us. It's just going to be just like we did last time. Um, whether you sign up or not, you can come to one of the services on Sunday morning and you'll get like the first 45 minutes of it and get, get exposed to that. And then we'll come back at two o'clock in the afternoon for two and a half hours. We'll have a couple of breaks, some snacks. Um, and basically we'll walk through the entire New Testament. It's kind of a, it's a great way to learn the big picture, the flow of it. And uh, I hope that you can be here with us for that. It's gonna be a great time. You can sign up online. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll dive into our message today. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how, uh, in so many ways, it's instantly accessible to us through your spirit. But on the other hand, um, it is inexhaustibly deep. And we can dig and dig and learn more and more and more. And I, I thank you for that, that it's, that it's living, that it's active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray for us right now as we open it up, as we look at just a couple of verses from Colossians. I pray this morning that we can put just all the busyness and the craziness and the, the things we've got to think about and the problems we've got to solve, we can put those aside. And we can just listen to you and that your spirit can teach us this morning. We need to hear from you. And so I pray that we will in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Colossians. We're actually down to the last two messages uh, this week and uh, next week. And we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of names. And as I was thinking about uh, these last few verses and thinking about the names, we're going to just look at two of them to today. I was kind of reminded of um, something that I've been able to take part in in my life, something that's been very instrumental over the last 12 years. I've been able to go down to Nicaragua uh, nine different times. And we haven't been able to go the last couple years because of COVID and then just because of some political stuff. And I'm really hoping to go back this next calendar year, but uh, a lot of times when I go to Nicaragua and come back, and I'll show you some pictures and things that happen down there, and a, a lot of times we see pictures that can be a little misleading. You know, uh, there's Bill digging a ditch. There's a lot of ditch digging that goes on in Nicaragua because there's not much infrastructure, and Leroy doing electrical. They keep me away from that. Uh, Mike working on plumbing in a bathroom. And a lot of times you'll see pictures of people who are doing labor, maybe by themselves in some place in Nicaragua. And we can start to kind of think like, oh, that's what it's like to go to Nicaragua. And it's actually nothing like that because everything that we do in Nicaragua involves teams. It involves a lot of people. Nobody goes and does the work by themselves. There have been times when I've gone with just one other person and there's been times when I've gone with like 15 other people, but it doesn't matter. There are always literally hundreds of people that are involved in going on a trip like this. Um, when we go to Nicaragua, somebody has to do some legwork and pick the dates and figure that out. They need to recruit teams, got to book flights, 
um, got to do training. Somebody will uh, get publicity out. Uh, maybe a different person will gather supplies uh, that we'll need, um, food, um, ground transportation. Somebody's got to work that out. Um, somebody's got to drive when we're there. Somebody has to figure out lodging. Uh, somebody's got to determine the work projects. What will we work on? Where will we go? What will we do? Um, somebody's got to work on raising finances. It takes hundreds of people to support us financially uh, because usually we spend ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars on projects down there, building projects, uh, helping churches. Somebody's got to buy the food. Somebody's got to cook the food. Um, and people got to pray. Usually hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that are praying. So when you see pictures of somebody digging a ditch down there, you know it's never just one person. It's a whole bunch of people who are involved. And that's a great picture of what it means to serve the Lord anywhere at any time. No matter where you are, serving the Lord always involves teams of people, whether that's a, a marriage you know, if, if you're in a marriage and you're serving your husband, serving your wife, uh, you're a team. But you know, even that is not just you two. It takes other people to be supporting you and praying for you. Uh, maybe it's parenting. Again, parenting at its best is never just a mom and dad. It always involves relatives and friends and people in church that are pitching in and helping. Uh, whether it's in a worship service, it's a, a point in the worship service where I'm the only one up here right now, but you know, there's a lot of people that were involved in making this happen. Um, think about things like small groups, uh, family promise that you heard a little bit about today, um, working with kids, working with youth. It always involves a team of people, always. In Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4, um, there's a discussion in each one of those passages about serving the Lord. And in every one of them, the emphasis is that we do it as a body. We do it as a family. We do it as a team. We never do it alone. We always do it together. And as Paul is wrapping up this letter that we've been involved in for the last 18 weeks, in Colossians, as he wraps it up, he gives us a list of, of names. And sometimes people wonder, like, why take an entire chapter to do that? Well, I think Paul, part of what Paul wants us to understand is that the letter that we've been studying is a real letter written from people to actual people with names, to, to individuals. The Bible is full of the names of individuals. Sometimes those individuals get chapters, uh, and sometimes, you know, we get a ton of information about them, say people like Moses, people like David. On the other hand, some people, we get only their name, and we get no other information about them, except for the fact that there were people involved and whatever ministry was taking place at, at whatever juncture in, in the history of, of redemption. Paul wants us to know these names that we're going to look at today and next week because it reminds us that his ministry was a team effort. Our passage today is just a, three verses from Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, and I want to read this for you. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, the second person, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Tychicus and Onesimus. By the way, if you're expecting, I don't know, those are some great names. Uh, everyone's picking weird names today. This is Tychicus here. Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. 
And the Colossians are very concerned about Paul being in prison. Prison was a terrible place to be in those days. Uh, it was, the, the conditions were terrible. You, often you were in chains, as Paul was. You were mistreated. There was illness. Um, in, a, in, in a lot of prisons in the Roman Empire, they didn't feed you or clothe you or give you bedding. Someone else had to do that from outside of prison. And so it was a very difficult place to be. And, and they want to know, how is Paul doing? Is, is he okay? What are his plans? What does he think is going to happen? And so he sends two team members, two people that are, are near to him, dear to him, but he sends them to the Colossians, Tychicus and Onesimus. And I want to look at these two guys today. And the first guy, his name is Tychicus. And for each one of these two guys, I want to just kind of give you a big idea for them as we walk through this. For Tychicus, here's going to be our focus. What you do is not as important as how you do it. What you do is not as important as how you do it. Now, I want to talk about this in the context because I don't mean this as a free, you could take this out of context and do terrible things with it. Here's what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, I want you to notice what it says. Now, in Ephesians, a lot of times in chapter 2, we think of verses 8 and verses 9, right, that remind us that we've been saved by grace, that it's not by works, that it's not by merit, that Christ is all-sufficient. That's the theme of Colossians. He's all-sufficient for our salvation and everything that we need to walk with him in this life. And so in, in Ephesians, it reminds us that we've been saved by grace not saved by works, but then verse 10 goes on and says something very important. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. And that's different. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has prepared works for you to do, and he's prepared them in advance. It's his decision. It's his will for you. God calls us to different ways of serving him. It's God who calls us. It's God who determines the what, if you will. And so, for instance, God might call you to serve him in a, you know, in a big way, whatever you think that is. Sometimes people say, wow, that's a really big way of serving God, or a small way, which we'll talk about, doesn't actually exist. It might be very public, it might be very hidden. Maybe nobody sees what you do. It might be in front of crowds. It might be behind the scenes. Maybe you greet people at the front door and welcome them as they come in. Maybe you're in the kitchen making the coffee and no one sees that. But God is the one who calls us to do what we do in terms of serving him. God had called Paul to a very particular kind of ministry and it was very public. Paul was a very well-known figure in his day. God's will for him was to travel all over the empire. He, he taught, he proclaimed the gospel, um, he equipped the believers. He was a missionary. He would go to new places and proclaim the gospel. He was a church planter and he would raise up leaders in, in churches and he was an evangelist and he was a writer of New Testament books. But Paul could not do all that on his own. He had to have teammates with him. One of those teammates was a guy named Tychicus. Again in verse 7. Now, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now, the Bible only mentions Tychicus five times, and it doesn't really tell us much about him. We first meet him in Acts chapter 20. Paul was in Ephesus, probably near the end of his uh, three-year ministry there, and he meets this guy named Tychicus, who was a native of the area of which uh, Ephesus was a major city. 
I don't know exactly why he was in Ephesus at the time, but apparently he comes across Paul, he hears the gospel, and he becomes a believer. And Paul befriends him and welcomes him in as as part of his team, as part of his inner circle. And Tychicus, as part of that inner circle, would have seen a whole lot of things that happened to Paul. In fact, not only would he see things that happened to Paul, but he would experience many of the same things that Paul went through. And when Paul plans to return to Jerusalem, Tychicus was one of seven people who said, you know, Paul, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll pick up roots, I'll pick up my life, and I'll go with you. It's a big commitment on his part. Travel in the ancient world was physically difficult. It was dangerous. Um, it took Tychicus away from his family and his friends and his church for a long time, and he would face a lot of the same challenges that Paul would. When Paul's talking in 2 Corinthians 11 about some of the challenges that he faced, um, Tychicus could probably be like, yeah, you know, I was there, even though I'm not mentioned, even though Paul's the one who gets all, you know, kind of the accolades here. Paul says, three times I was shipwrecked. We know that Tychicus was shipwrecked as well. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers and danger from robbers and danger from my own people and danger from Gentiles and danger from cities. Yeah, Paul would get it. You were in danger, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And this is also what Tychicus would have experienced. When Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, Tychicus decided to stay with him. Um, For two years, he stays with Paul. When Paul was transported from uh, to Rome for trial, Tychicus traveled with him then as well. It was a miserable voyage from what we know. There was a shipwreck along the way. He was with Paul during his house arrest in Rome for two more years. For two more years, he stays. He didn't have to, but that is, that's his ministry to support Paul, to encourage Paul, to make sure Paul has food and blankets. And, and, and it was risky for him to associate with Paul. It put him in danger of mistreatment from prison guards. He, he, he ran danger of being labeled an enemy of the state just as Paul was. He could have ended up in prison himself. And his life is on hold during this whole time, away from people he loved. Why did he do it? Because that's what God called him to do. God's the one who called him to do this. But he gets to decide how he will do it. In verse 8, Paul says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So Paul sends Tychicus to Colossae. He says, I need you to go on this trip, one more trip, and take this, and it's another difficult journey. Again, it's hard for us to understand what it was like to travel back then. Uh, In a couple of weeks, I'll be going down to Northern California um, to preach for a brother down there who heads up a church and he's got stage four cancer. And so I'm gonna go down once a month for the next three months to preach so he can get his chemo and and, um, hopefully God can do some great things in his life there. But I'm just, you know, I'll, I'll get on a plane in the afternoon on Saturday and I'll fly down, I'll get off the plane, have some dinner, go to bed, get up early in the morning, preach and immediately go to the airport and come back. I can do all that, it'll be easy, it won't be hard. I'll get some stale pretzels along the way. But that's not what it was like to travel back then. Back then it was huge. It took lots of time. Tychicus, in order to deliver this letter, he would have to cross much of Italy on foot and then sail across the Adriatic Sea and then travel across Greece on foot and then sail across the agency. And then once he got off there, he's got another 100 miles to travel by foot. And Paul gives Tychicus two duties, two things he wants him to do. 
First of all, he's going to deliver a letter that Paul has written to the Colossians, another to Philemon, and another to the Ephesians. And then the second thing he's going to do is he's going to serve as Paul's personal representative. Paul is in prison. Paul can't be there, but they've been praying for Paul, and they're concerned about Paul. And so he's going to go and tell them how Paul's doing and how, how they can be praying for him because Paul can't be there on his own. So he sends Tychicus for him, right? Tychicus is Paul's errand boy, really, right? Go tell them how I'm doing. So again, remember, there's no, there's no texting back then. There's no phone or, you know, Facebook posts. How are they going to find out how Paul's doing? So he sends a representative. Tychicus tells him all about Paul's situation, what prison's like, you know, how his, how his health is, how he's doing physically and spiritually and emotionally, and his hopes and his plans, you know, they probably were like, do you, does Paul think he's going to get out? Does he think he's going to win his court case? What's he going to do after that? And he's able to express Paul's love for them and to answer any questions that they would have. He's Paul's errand boy. I mean, when we look at Tychicus, right, he left no writings for us. There's no record of great accomplishments or miracles worked through him. There's no recorded words of his. There's no stories of great feats about him. What makes Tychicus commendable wasn't the work that God called him to do, it's how he did it. He was, he was faithful. In fact, let's notice how Paul describes Tychicus. He says, first of all, he's a beloved brother. So he's, he's a believer, but he's beloved. He, he's loved by Paul. He's loved by the believers in Rome. It's no uh, insignificant thing that Paul loves him. I get, again, I, Paul is an interesting guy, and I don't imagine, and maybe this is just me, but I don't imagine Paul calls anyone beloved easily, you know? Paul's just a very exacting guy, but he's like, I really love this guy. I, I think what it means is that Tychicus can't, has a kind of heart and, and humility and, and attitude and actions that just make him the kind of guy you love, and Paul just loves this guy. One writer was mentioning, and I, I, I thought this was great, he said, you know, there's a lot of famous people, powerful people, accomplished people, rich people who go through life and never feel really loved by anyone. They might be feared, they might be admired, they might be envied, but they don't feel loved. And I met so many people, even um, in my ministry here, who will say that. Yeah, I've got money, yeah, I'm feared, yeah, I'm respected. I don't really feel loved. Paul says this guy is loved. He is, he is beloved. And he describes him as a faithful minister. That word minister isn't like we think of it today, like a pastor, an elder. Uh, it wasn't an official church position. It's all about the fact that he was a, uh, somebody who was engaged in gospel ministry, and, and faithful is the key word there. Faithful is about character. What he's saying is this guy's reliable. This guy's trustworthy. This guy is dependable. Paul says, when I need something that has to be done, this is the guy that I can trust. Even if it's not flashy, even if it's behind the scenes, even if it's tough work. Again, it's not so much what God called him to do, but how he did what God called him to do. And God calls Tychicus to serve behind the scenes. And I love the fact that his response wasn't, there's no hint of, ah, I wish I could be Paul. I wish I could write a letter that, you know, with my name on it. I wish I could go and plant a church and I wish people would come from all over to hear me. He doesn't, he lets God determine how he serves. He's just faithful in that. 
In 1 Corinthians 12 that I had referred to earlier, Paul's talking about this very thing. He's, he's talking about the teamwork that God calls us to, and he says this, for the body, that is the, the, the church, the universal church and local church, does not consist of one member, but of many members, right? And if the foot, so he's going to give us a comparison here. Imagine that the local church was a, was a body, a literal body. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You know, it's like imagine you're like a foot, whatever that means. You know, you feel like your ministry is covered up by a shoe and nobody sees you and it's kind of smelly. And you're like, I wish I was a hand because everyone sees the hand. People like the hand, right? He's like, no, that doesn't mean that your part isn't important. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of, of, of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, here's the point, but as it is, God arranged. God decides. God places the members in the body. Each one of them as he chooses. He chooses the part that we play. But so often we're more focused on doing something God hasn't called us to do. And sometimes I'll hear this from people. I wish I did something significant. I wish I could do something up front. I wish I could have a microphone, you know? That, that's, what I, that's what I wish I could do. But instead, we let God determine where. And we determine to be faithful to whatever he calls us to. Right? Maybe it's a certain ability God has given us. And maybe it's the behind-the-scenes thing. Maybe it's the, the home that God has called you to. And you think, I wish I was called to a different house or a, or, or a different relationship or, or a different job or a different school. But we let God do the choosing. And we are faithful in that. And he describes in one other way. He says he's a fellow servant in the Lord. Paul and Tychicus had different roles to play. Paul wrote letters. Tychicus delivered the letters. But Paul says they were fellow servants of God. They were partners, they were equals. In other words, it wasn't like, well, here's Paul and here's Tychicus and here's the Lord. He says, no, we're both servants of the same Lord. We're both equal. And our greatness is not determined by the role God gives us. It's by our faithfulness to whatever God calls us to. Even the small things done faithfully for Christ are, are great. In Matthew 10, in fact, Jesus said, if anyone gives even a, a cup of cold water, to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. There's a reward for even just a cup of, of water to a child. In Matthew 20, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So again, the path to greatness is by being a servant. That I idea of service, especially in this passage, is the idea of, of washing people's dirty, smelly feet as they come in the room. All right, Paul says that isn't the kind of thing that people equate with greatness, but... The point is, it's being faithful to whatever God calls you to. See, our lives cannot be separated into the sacred and the secular or the great and the small. Everything that we do must be done for Christ. And everything that is done for Christ is sacred. In John 8, in fact, Jesus says, and he who sent me is with me. And he has not left me alone for, and notice what he says, I always do, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As one writer put it, Jesus lived in a human body for 33 years and he never once performed a non-sacred act because all of it was done to please God. So Tychicus doesn't write this letter, but he got this letter where it needed to go. And this letter, think about it, this, this short letter that he delivers to this church will outlast the Roman Empire that's dead set against it. Uh, his name will be known 
after the names of the powerful and the rulers and the famous and the too big to fail of his day will be forgotten in the dust of history, we still remember the name of Tychicus because he was faithful to what God called him to. So the world may not see our service to God, but God will, and that's what matters. And being part of God's team isn't about what we do, but how we do it. That's Tychicus. Now there's one other guy who has an equally confusing name in this passage, and that's Onesimus. So Tychicus and Onesimus. And when I think about Onesimus, there's obviously a lot of things we could talk about, but I want to focus on this. Who you were is not as important as who you are. Who you were is not as important. It's who you are in Christ. In verse 9, we read this about Onesimus. And with Tychicus, I'm sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. And they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, Onesimus, he says, is one of you. This is a letter being written to the Colossians, and he's like, you guys know about Onesimus. He's notorious. So they know him, but he's notorious. This is a guy with a, with a past. Now, we don't find this past really in this letter. We find it in another letter, a letter written to a guy named Philemon. Uh, the book of Philemon, which is just one chapter, tell us, tells us about this guy, Onesimus. So just quickly, basically, in the church in Colossae is a guy named Philemon. Philemon was a believer, and fa- in fact, the church was a house church, and they probably met in his home. So he's a, he's a, he's a believer, they meet in his home, he's a, he's a leader in the church, and he had a slave. And that slave's name was Onesimus. Now, we have to remember that in that context, more than half of Rome's population during that time were slaves. And the word slave is a general word that just kind of runs the gamut, anywhere from what what could just be uh, described today as an employee to somebody who's just a full-on slave. And, And in Philemon, in the book of Philemon, Onesimus is described as someone who's useless, Now, this is ironic because the name Onesimus means useful or or profitable, and he's described as someone who's useless. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's theories. Maybe it means he was lazy. Maybe that means he was inept. Maybe it means he was was stubborn, or, you know, uh, finally would try to get him to do stuff, and he wouldn't do it right. Whatever it means, we know this. We know that Onesimus apparently at some point stole from Philemon. He stole something and he fled to Ephesus and then on to Rome. And the, his plan apparently was just to become lost in the huge population of Rome, never to be found by his master again. But while he's there, he comes across the ministry of Paul and apparently he hears the gospel and, uh, and God calls him to himself. He becomes a believer Um, And the irony, don't miss the irony. The irony here is this, that instead of disappearing, he is found by his master's master, which I love. He is found by his master's Lord. And Paul befriends him and takes him onto his team. He's not a leader. He's kind of an underling and somebody that Paul is discipling. And now Paul decides at some point, I need to send Onesimus back to Philemon, back to his master, which is a gutsy move, by the way, a big step of faith, because in that day, Roman law said running away uh, as a slave was punishable by death. So to go back to his master is, a, is a, quite a move of faith here. But Paul sends him back to make things right, and he agrees to go. He, he trusts God in this way. And so Paul writes this letter and he tells Philemon, um, Onesimus may have been useless to you, 
but now he's useful to me. He used to be one thing, and now he's another thing in Christ. And he tells Onesimus this, uh, or Philemon, he says, if Onesimus owes you anything, Paul says, I personally will repay it. And Paul makes a suggestion here, which I love. And the suggestion is maybe it was God's plan that Onesimus would run away so that he could come to faith and return to you, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. Because he's not the same person anymore. Onesimus has been transformed. He's no longer a thief. He's someone willing to make restitution for what he's done. He's no longer a runaway. He's a faithful and beloved brother, filled with the Holy Spirit and God-given purpose. And notice what Paul calls Onesimus. He calls him our faithful and, and dear brother. Basically the same words that he used to describe Tychicus. Paul's implying that there's no distinction of status between them here. In Colossians 3.11, in fact, earlier Paul said this, here, that is in Christ, there, there's not Greek and Jew, something that used to separate people, divide people, couldn't be in the same room together. No, now there's no separation. Now we're family. Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. For those of us who are in Christ, all the barriers between us have been removed. We are one in Christ. And so, Onesimus goes back to his master and Tychicus goes with him, maybe as a character witness, right? If they're like, is this real? Or have you ever met somebody who's like, no, I, I, I'm a new person and that's in the past. And you're like, well, can we believe him? Tychicus says, yeah, I've, I've been with him. I can tell you that, that what God has done is real in this man. Paul says, I know what Onesimus used to be, but he is no longer that same person. He is now a brother in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. So his identity has been changed from a fugitive slave to a faithful and beloved brother. And Paul gives him a ministry. And Paul gives him some honor and respect and a place in his own heart. Because when a person comes to faith in Christ, the past no longer defines that person. And I, I tell you this because I have discussions every week. I think every week without fail with somebody who a lot of people would probably think is accomplished and maybe a very spiritually secure person. But I tell you, week after week, I have people with whom I have conversations and they'll say things like, you know, pastor, you probably don't know this about me, but I have a history. I, I have a past. I've really messed up. I've made some terrible choices. I remember, uh, and I, I journal, and I like to go back sometimes and read earlier journals. And I, I've, uh, I've got some journal entries from like 29 years ago, 28, 27 years ago. When I first came to Gateway, I was young. So I was 33 when I came here. And I'd never seen your pastor before. I'd worked with youth and I loved that ministry. But now I'm dealing with adults. And week after week, I would have people come in my office and close the door. And then they would tell me some unbelievable story that I had never heard before. And I can always remember I had this swivel back chair and I'm not kidding. At one point I would lock it before people came in because I would just lean back like I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You know, I'm trying to be calm and composed. But after a while, you'd hear all these stories. Pastor, you, you would not believe what I've done. I, I made this sinful choice and destroyed my, my past. Pastor, you may not know this, but I was convicted of a crime. I spent time in prison. 
I, I have discussions with people I had no clue at all, right? Or, uh, pastor, I was unfaithful in the past. Or I stole something. Or I, I told a lie that just blew up. I cheated. I got fired from my job, and rightfully so. Or maybe I dropped out of something. Or I, I was addicted to something. Or I said something unforgivable. Or I, I did something unforgivable. And I'll have people come to me and tell me these stories. You know, and then they, it always ends the same way. Um, can God still use me? And I got a text just two days ago with that exact same conversation. Here's the thing I want to know. Can God still use me? Or am I just on the sideline for the rest of my life? Let me tell you this. So the, the, the book of Colossians, we've said this before, is about the all-sufficiency of Christ. The all-sufficiency. Not mostly Jesus and partly us. Jesus does most of the work and we do part of it. It's all the work of Christ. Christ is enough to forgive you of every sin, to make you a new creation. Can you be used by God? Yes. Why? Because Christ is enough. Because Christ is all-sufficient. Because he makes us entirely new. Not us, not us working with him, not us doing 10% or 20% or 30%. It's all Christ because he is sufficient. The answer is clear. If you are in Christ, then what you were no longer defines you. And I don't know if you need to hear that today, but if you are in Christ, you are a new creation and you are enough, not because of anything you've done, but because Christ is enough. The all-sufficiency of Christ. God has saved you, not by good works, but for good works. And what God calls you to do is his thing. Your thing is to be faithful. Your thing is to follow him. And he has designed you to do good works, and not alone, to do them with others. Just as Paul could not have served without Tychicus or Onesimus, so we cannot serve others without a team. It's not how it works. It's not how God has designed us. We'll, we'll continue on this discussion next week as we look some more, some more names and wrap up the book. But let me tell you one of the great things about my job, and that is that I get to see a whole lot of stuff around here that you might not see. A whole lot of ways that God works through you guys to bless one another, sometimes in ways that you don't know. So maybe you uh, recognized um, a couple months ago, if, if you enter on the east side of the building, you might have noticed that the landing there was falling apart and the boards were rotting and everything was just, and, and we had a group of guys when you weren't looking who came in during the week and they stripped that whole thing down and they rebuilt that deck from the bottom up and maybe you came to church this weekend and entered through there and you didn't even notice it. But they served you when you weren't looking. There's no plaque with their names on it. <laughs> that might be kind of cool with their pictures. You don't know who they were. I know who they were and God knows who they were. They just, God called them to do something. They had the time and the willingness to do it and they served. You were blessed. We were blessed, but you don't even know that, right? And they could have been like, well, we'll do it, but could you put our picture on the screen? Or, no, they, did, they, they quietly, faithfully served you. We have deacons and deaconesses in our church who serve you in ways that you never see. So right now we have deacons and deaconesses who are down at the park, and they are setting up for you. And they're getting the food ready and barbecuing and putting up chairs and all that stuff. And you don't, you don't see them doing it. In fact, you wouldn't even know them. They were setting up tables right now, except I just told you. 
teams of people who've just said yes to what God has called them to do faithfully. These are people who prepare communion and serve it to you, who assist with baptisms, who keep the building facilities working so when we come in on the weekend, there's chairs to sit in and the roof isn't leaking and there's lights on and all that stuff. We have a hospitality team. Some of the people when you come, came in this weekend, they're out there, they're shaking hands, they're greeting you, making sure you know we're glad you're here and that you're loved. Some of them are out front, some of them are in the kitchen making coffee. Again, door closed, you don't know who they are. We have a tech team that works on Sunday mornings to make sure all this happens. We got somebody running sound. Let me tell you, that is not easy. Somebody running slides. At nine o'clock, we had a team here working cameras so that people who need to be at home today and watch from home can be blessed. We have people all over the world who watch this service and they don't know, like we don't, as far as I know, the tech team don't put their pictures on the bottom of the screen. Maybe they do. I don't, I don't think they do. They work behind the scenes. They work quietly. You don't know them. You don't know who they are. They're just serving the Lord and serving you. I don't know if you knew this, but we have a security team, a team of people, men and women, who come here on Sunday, and they get together, and they, 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 they spread out around the building. They're watching out for you. They're protecting you. They're making sure that, you know, your vehicle's are okay in the parking lot and they're always vigilant in here and if something was to happen, they would be the first people to jump up and protect you from harm's way. You probably don't know who they are, but they know who you are and they're serving you. Right now we have people back in the children's center who are taking care of kids. So some of you, you can be in here and you can be listening to the sermon and not distracted. And, and we got people next door working with our kids. We've got youth ministry teams, right, that work with our, our, with our teens, with our youth, right? They spend time praying together, planning, serving, ministering to our kids. Some of them, you don't know who they are. Some of them, they don't get the accolades and all the upfront stuff, but they're serving. We have people that serve our women, people that serve our men. They plan events. They study their Bible so they can teach. They're praying for our men, praying for our women. One more thing I'll mention, and then we'll wrap this up, and that is family promise. We've mentioned family promise. So we have a a ministry where four, actually in the next 12 months, I think five weeks this year, we'll have homeless families that are living in our building, right here in our church. And we love that. We love doing that. But here's the thing. It's that we don't have paid staff for that. We need everyone to get involved. And so we we have a whiteboard out in the lobby. I took a picture of it. Actually, this is what it looked like earlier. Now it's got more names filled in from the last service. And, and basically, we're looking for people just to, do, just to do one thing. You could bring a meal one evening. Uh, you could hang out during the evening and visit with the people who are here. Uh, you could stay overnight. We need people to help set up, people to help tear down, people to do laundry. And we're looking to get more people involved. We want to be able to bless homeless families in our area. But here's the thing, and, and I can, here's what I can tell you. All of these slots will get filled up, but sometimes it's just by the same people who take three or four or five slots because they're going to make sure that it happens. Now, in, in two weeks after the service is over, we're going to have a, a ministry fair, just meaning when the service is over, there's going to be tables set up all over the church representing different ministries in our church and you can get some information and find out what's going on there. And I would encourage you between now and then to just be praying. If you're not involved in a ministry, how could you get involved? How could you use your gifts? We could use it for five minutes or five hours a week, right? Just whatever God has called you to do. 
In the meantime, though, I would ask you to consider doing this. When you walk out of this room today, there is a big whiteboard in the back, and they need some people to make a commitment. It's easy. It's just one time, one meal, or just a couple of hours, and you could come and help make a difference. We don't do it alone. We do it together. This is a team. This is how we serve. Teams that God calls us to in this church are made up of people. People who let God determine where they'll serve and they determine how they'll serve with faithfulness. It's people who are not defined by who they were, but who they are in Christ. God has gifted you. And I I could tell you this, I don't maybe know what your gift is, but God does. And in the same way that you're here with a gift, there are people here who need your gift. They need what you have to offer. They'll never know how that can bless them unless you stand up and serve. Well, we're going to continue on this discussion next week, but for now, let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much for our time in your word this morning. And I, you know, I just keep thinking how all of these messages for the last 18 weeks, they just all come down to the exact same thing every time. That Jesus is all sufficient. That he has done all the work necessary for salvation. We merely need to trust him. To trust the work that he has done. To trust in his sufficiency. Even when it comes to serving. Even when it comes to just standing up and helping someone for five minutes or 50 minutes or five hours. Really what it comes down to in the end is we all have excuses. We all have questions. We're all not sure we can do it. But your scripture tells us that we are your workmanship, created for good works. And we may not be qualified or sufficient, but in Christ, he is sufficient for us. Father God, I pray for us as we we go from here, that we would not merely be spectators when it comes to your gospel and when it comes to being part of the family of God, but that we be active. Those seeking out how you have created us to serve and those willing to jump in and serve. And I thank you that when we do that, we will find you there. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.